It's time to start the podcast. It's time to hit the mics. It's time to start the podcast with Moon, P. Jug, and Hobbs. Welcome to episode 27 of Moon, P. Jug, and Hobbs. We got lots to catch up on. We're only once a week. Here's what's going on today. We have a guest. First of all, welcome, P. Jug. Hey, P. Jug here. P. Jug and I have a five-year anniversary coming up. And we got married in Las Vegas. We happened to figure out that Jimmy Buffett, one of my favorite performers, was going to be playing in Vegas towards the end of the year. And I have a friend that actually knows Jimmy. And uh, so I told her, are you going to be going to Jimmy's show? We're coming out there. We're going to go to the concert, get married, the whole nine yards, limousines. We're going to do it upright. Okay. And she sends me first row tickets, front row tickets, and I had backstage passes to meet Jimmy for the seventh time. P-Jug, tell him what happened. Well, I ended up getting pneumonia because I swallowed a magnesium pill that got caught in my throat. I know it sounds bizarre, but I got really sick. That was the last time I was really sick, five years ago. Coincidentally, I ended up coughing that pill up like two weeks later. It was stuck in my throat. So we had to postpone the wedding until November, like four weeks later. But we missed Jimmy Buffett and everything. But And here's the thing. And this was a big trap because P. Jug said to me, you know something? You've got these front row tickets. You've already got the airfare. You've already got the hotel. You got the whole nine yards. Why don't you just go ahead and go? I'm telling you, if I would have left my wife with pneumonia, to go to another Jimmy Buffett show, okay? I would have never lived that down. No, you would have. Hobbs, in the last seven days, what have you been up to? I was in Duluth, and you have to say it like that, Duluth. Duluth. Um, yeah, it was a, it's a, it's a um, content creator, uh, like kind of a film fest called uh, Catalyst, and it attracted people from both coasts, and uh, they were screening, I think they screened 50 or 60 different independent films, and so it was really cool, very artist vibe. Very fun. Lots of business cards were handed out. That's a thing we haven't done in like two years. So it was cool. I've been going there since I was a kid and it it looked a little shoddy at a, you know, for a while. And it seems like it's very vibrant and there's a lot of new stuff. So go check out Duluth. Last time I stayed there, this was kind of strange. They have a hotel and on top of the hotel, there's a restaurant and it spins around in a circle. Mm -hmm. uh, when I stayed at the hotel, it was for a soccer tournament for my daughter and then I left something at the hotel. It was very personal, a uh, personal item. So I got back to the radio station. I know this story. <laughs> and I said, I left a personal item in Duluth at a hotel. If there's anybody making a run to Duluth to do any work, mm -hmm. could you pick it up for me? And sure enough, uh, somebody called and said, I happen to be going up to Duluth this afternoon. What can I pick up for you, Mr. Moon? And I said, well, it's a personal item. And they said, well, yeah, but I need to know what it is. And I and this was all on the air. And I said, well, it's my nose hair trimmers. <laughs> 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 and, and so anyway, sure enough, this woman drove up to Duluth. She got my nose hair trimmers, and then she brought them back to the radio station. And I always thought that was kind of a fun story. And, you know, if, if there's somebody that has a lot of stories to share we want to welcome our next guest. Uh, I happen to have the honor of meeting Don Eggert at the Minnesota Broadcasting Hall of Fame 
induction ceremonies just a couple of weeks ago. You started in radio kind of the same way I did. You were in high school. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Right. And then what year was that? Uh, well, I was uh, a senior in high school. That would have been about 1948, something like that. And then you were in high school. What did you do, mm -hmm. go to school part-time and then radio part-time? Because that's exactly what I did. Well, I, want, uh, I wanted to go to uh, the radio station simply because I didn't want to stay in school any longer than I had to. So <laughs> that's the way that happened. When you graduated... Uh, you had this interest already in radio. Mm -hmm. And do you believe that this stuff gets in your blood and you just can't quit it? You know, I think you're absolutely right. I remember I graduated from high school in 1951. And by that time, I'd been in radio some five years. It kind of does get in your blood. And uh, I, I don't want to tell anybody this too much, but uh, I would have worked for nothing. <laughs> you did work pretty much from nothing. Do you remember what your first payroll was? Yeah, 75 cents an hour, and I went out and went in hot for a new car. So. <laughs> now, when I started in radio, it was 1974, mm -hmm. and they were paying me $2.15 an hour. Oh, that would have been treasury money. And I worked for a mom-and-pop radio station. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in a, a very small town, town of about maybe 7,000 people, and it was called Sydney, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's where the Cabela's stores were founded and, and all that. We've talked about that on the podcast. But then you were in a town in the Dakotas, right? That's right, Watertown, South Dakota. That's where I'm talking from right now. Uh, it was 1951 when I graduated, and I went on from there to uh, uh, rather fame and fortune. I think I hit $2 an hour. Uh, by the time I, let's see, it was 1956, something like that. And I was born in 1958. Do you remember <laughs> what the cost of fuel was? Well, uh, no, fuel, absolutely. You could, uh, you, you could uh, if you wanted to buzz main, you know, like they used to do, uh, you could uh, probably fill your tank for under $5 or less. So were you kind of like a local superstar then because you were on the air? Not a superstar. They didn't have superstars in those days. So if anybody that's listening wants to get into radio, uh, you better have a good bank account to start with. Yeah, because the money doesn't come pouring in for a long, long time, if ever. That's very, very true. I've had so many fun times in radio. Uh, one of them was the Nixon came to Watertown. President Nixon came, I should be more formal, came to Watertown to campaign for Goldwater. I forget exactly the year. But they wouldn't let me in the uh, in the airport because the front of the uh, Secret Service was there. So I drove back to Ortonville, and I happened to belong to a flying club. And so I got the airplane out. I pushed it out of the hangar, and I flew to Watertown and landed on a runway that didn't have any Secret Service. Taxied up and got the interview with Richard Nixon. That was one of the fun times. Oh, that's amazing. What was that like? I see, I've see. i seen a picture of you two standing together. Was that during, you know, that whole Watergate thing or, or pre-Watergate? No, no this, this was, this was pre-Watergate. It really was. The uh, Harry, Harry Truman was one of the t times that was fun for, for radio. Uh, I was at the University of South Dakota at the time. And Harry Truman came to Watertown to uh, raise money for his library. And so I had the opportunity as I was uh, in the same room with Harry Truman, and I found out that his vice president had passed away. And I was the person that told 
Harry Truman that his uh, vice president had just died. His quote was, oh, God, no. I said, yes, it did happen, Mr. Truman. And that was that was another one of those. But it's not that because uh, you're privileged, it just happens because that's your job to do, is to interview those that are making the news. That was a long, long time ago. Yes, it was. And, you know, I had the pleasure of interviewing some political figures. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, the times have changed so much. It used to be where, you know, if there was a president, for the most part, everybody kind of was behind the president. And even though they may have disagreed on some things, mm-hmm. they weren't so vocal and divided. Yeah. And now, no matter what you say, you're offending somebody. I remember the first time I got to do a station identification, and that was the only thing I was allowed to do. So <laughs> you'd go a whole hour, and after you sat there a full hour, you got to say, this is KSID, AM and FM, Sydney, Nebraska. And then you went on to actually get a couple of business partners, and you became the owners of a radio station. Yeah, there were four of us that started it, and uh, I ended up uh, through a series of trades and things like that. I ended up owning the radio station uh, by myself in subsequent years. But uh, that was KDIO at Ortonville, Minnesota. Didn't you decide back in like 1996 to put up a tower for an FM? Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. They, that was a 300-footer, right? Yep. Yes, it was. And uh, we had a 150-foot tower that was standing right beside it. And uh, my son, who was really technically great, he said uh, I was because I was talking to other tower people to get the old tower taken down. And he said there was $8,000, which what, what, what it would cost to do that. My son said to me, Dad, don't do it. I'll lay it down for you. So I just let him do it. And uh, he hired a, somebody that uh, had a uh, police system that laid that tower on the ground. It didn't cost me a nickel. I got a tower story for you. Right next to our uh, radio station, there was kind of like a parking lot, if you will. Mm -hmm. It was just an area that wasn't paved. You know, we had a gravel driveway into the radio station. Oh, yeah. Only about three or four parking spaces. Well, as time went on, the radio station wanted to replace the tower, go a little bit taller, so more people could hear the the signal. Sure. And they could make money on advertising. Okay. So they took the tower down in sections. Sure. And they took those sections out and they set it in the parking lot, kind of in the grassy area. Mm-hmm. And then they put the new tower up and the, the station was off the air for a couple of days. Okay. So <laughs> what happened over time was that weeds started to grow around all mm-hmm. those big sections of iron, uh, mm-hmm. the tower, and it just got almost out of hand. It was an eyesore. And uh, this guy I used to work with was the chief engineer he wanted to sell those parts of, you know, iron for scrap metal. Sure. And get some money for it. But he didn't want to tear all those weeds down that had overgrown everything. So what he did was he took a can of gasoline and he (laughs) spread it on the weeds and he lit it on fire. And the next thing you know, our whole parking lot is on fire. And it's right next to the radio station, maybe 25 yards away. Yeah. And what happened was in that time in that small town, you didn't have a full-time fire department. What happened, uh, a siren would blow if someone had reported a fire. And then the people that blew the siren at the, uh, you know, the courthouse 
would call the radio station and we would say this, the Sydney Volunteer Fire Department needs to report to a fire six miles east of town at the intersection of A and Z or whatever. And that's how people would know how to, you know, get to a fire so they could help put it out. So then during this announcement, I was on the air and I said, the Sydney Volunteer Fire Department has been called to a fire right here where I'm at at KSID, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then the fire department comes up. They got the sirens on. You could hear this whole thing on the air. And there's my buddy out there trying to put this fire out by that time that it went pretty much crazy. So you guys were 911. That's fascinating. I mean, like, I remember, though, I'm old enough to remember when 911 was new. Oh, yeah. There wasn't 911 before, at least in this area, until like 82, 84, something like that. Mm -hmm. So I remember not, that not happening. But mm -hmm. wow, like, that's crazy. That was a crazy <laughs> story. And then Don and I had something else in common, too. The radio station he was at, as time went on, technologies changed. And you went from being live all the time. Mm -hmm. to actually having, you know, these big 13 and a half inch reels of tape. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was called an automation system. Yes. And the way the automation system would work is you would hit a button and the tape would play and it would play a song. When it got to the end of the song, there was a high pitch frequency that would be recognized by the next tower. And mm -hmm. it would then start that reel that might have either commercials or different kinds of music or whatever. The automation system came in in the latter the latter 50s. The technology now, of course, is entirely different in AM radio and FM radio, too, as well. I was doing the news one morning at 7 a.m. on KSID. Mm -hmm. uh, we would have network news from ABC from 7 o'clock to 7.05. And then at 7.05, I would come on with the live local news. And as I'm reading all these things to the audience, I look through my studio window and I see that, that big automation uh, tape machine was spooling tape out all over the floor. <laughs> I mean, it was spilling everywhere. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, you know, the FM's off the air. So after I hurried my way through the news, I put on, uh, I believe... It was about an 11 minute song by Jackson Brown. Uh, you know, choice. A, you got to always have a long song in your back pocket, right, guys? You've got to yeah, yeah. have. For lots of different reasons, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, most Correct. of them bathroom related, right? Correct. Yes, yes. I put this record on and I, I start the record and I go out in the other room and I hit the button and I have to spool all this tape back into the reel. And the phone in the meantime is ringing, ringing, ringing. I get the tape all get, you know, I got it back to where it was supposed to be. I hit the button. I see the meters on the, uh, you know, the control board start moving. So I knew I was back on the air and I thought, okay, I'll answer the phone. I'll tell them I know that it was off the air. So I uh, pick up the phone and I say, good morning, KSID. And they said, did you know your record stuck? <laughs> so on the am my record had been stuck for like seven minutes oh, wow. and on the fm we're completely off the air 
Well, right. I had that same similar thing happen, only I threaded the uh, tape back backwards. <laughs> so <laughs> everything came on there backwards. But uh, I, who were some of the popular bands that you played, you know, with music, you know, when you started and then as time progressed? That it, you was really a, it was big bands, you know, like uh, Glenn Miller Orchestra, uh, those types. Uh, th- those were very popular in those years. Then, uh, then of course, then rock and roll came in. And uh, kind of took over, but big bands were uh, quite a thing in those in the late fifties and early sixties. If you remember right, Mister Stanley mm-hmm. Hubbard, mm-hmm. when Manually. he started uh, the AM station in St. Paul KSTP, yes, what they uh, did was they would have live bands that would play, and they would advertise then for people to come to these dances. They would pay admission to go to the dances, and that's how they started making some money. And then they ended up, you know, advertisers knew that people were going to listen to find out where the next dance was and and then when it was going to be on the air and stuff like that. Back in those days, live radio events were quite the thing. I did it from the Olympics in Barcelona, Spain. That Uh, is amazing. That was a lot of fun. That was the first year of the NBC triple cast. It was crazy because we were, you know, sitting there and they brought all these huge Olympians. I'm sitting there with Evander Holyfield. Oh my all gosh. of a sudden, a guy named Bruce Jenner, now Caitlyn Jenner, uh, came up and took pictures with me. I have pictures. I mean, you know, who are some of the other people you met over the years? Uh, one of the situations that I remember very, very well was when, and this was not too long ago, uh, President Obama came to Watertown, South Dakota. Again, we couldn't get onto the airport, so we had to fly in. They finally caught on to that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you pulled that off a couple of times. Yeah, a couple of times. But there was a, a station in uh, Pierre, South Dakota, that was run by a, a lady that had the transmitter in her living room. She would, it was a KGFX, I think was the call, call letters, but she would turn the transmitter off about one o'clock and go to the grocery store. And then she'd say, I'll be back in about an hour. People got to look forward to that type of radio, but it wasn't something that uh, held on for too long, you know, but it was interesting. Didn't you get fired once for leaving the station to go get food? Yes, I got fired and hired in the, uh, in a 30 minute period. Uh, this was back in the days on KWAT at Watertown. Uh, they would run the the, the rosary, the uh, Holy Name Society. The rosaries would be on the air. And so the boss came in and he put them on the air. And uh, he uh, saw me when they were on the air. It was just long enough to go to the restaurant that was below the radio station and get a hamburger and then come back. And then he saw me coming up the stairs with a hamburger in hand. And the rosary was still on the air. And he said, this is your last day at the radio station. But the only thing was, in my favor, was that he didn't know how to run the board. And he hired me. (laughs) (laughs) He rehired me. And that uh, uh, was a true story. Didn't you go to school with Tom Brokaw? Yeah, I did. Tom Brokaw. I was at KYNT in Yankton. And uh, uh, Tom Brokaw took my place at KYNT in Yankton. And uh, that was my claim to fame, by the way. And I love that for the rest of your life, you're going to be able to say that Tom Brokaw was your protege. <laughs> yeah, he married he married a girl from Yankton, South Dakota. But mm-hmm. uh, t- t- Tom went on down to Omaha Radio and uh, then down into Texas and then uh, to the networks and things like that. But 
he was a very down to earth guy. He really was. I had a friend and yes. <laughs> he, he broadcast in the Northeast part of the United States in Spokane, Washington. Mm -hmm. And he was able to do the impression of Tom Brokaw. Okay. And it was a knockout. Really? This guy sounded exactly like Tom Brokaw. So I'm on the air in Houston. There's a big uh, event there that ABC News is in town to cover. And Sam Donaldson was going to be on our show to talk about what was going on in town. And so I get Sam Donaldson on the air. And I said, hey, Sam, I said, there's somebody I want you to talk to that just called. Uh, and then my friend, pretending to be Tom Brokaw, gets into a conversation with Sam Donaldson, and Sam was completely fooled. He actually had used his Tom Brokaw voice to call the Pope, and he got the Pope on the, on the phone from the Vatican, right, as Tom Brokaw. You know, over the years, I think we've all been a part of little pranks that we played, and you got involved with an April Fool's Day joke that I oh my I heard about. I could you share it with us? Well, this was uh, uh, this was at, at at Big Stone Lake, and it was April Fool's Day, and uh, so we got on the air, assuming that everybody would know it was a joke. The Minnesota River starts at at Ortonville and goes on down to the, the Gulf of Mexico, so we were doing a live broadcast of this ship that had docked at the basis of Big Stone Lake. Everybody believed it. But the funny part about it, or one of the humorous parts, there was a, 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 a full school bus full of nuns that were uh, at a local church at Graceville, Minnesota, and they got in that bus and came down to look at that boat that was in Big Stone Lake. I actually had legal action after one in Houston. I said that because of El Nino, that there was a freak snowstorm coming to Houston on April 1st. And I, I had all of these people that were setups from Dallas, San Antonio, uh, Waco. They were calling in. They're saying, oh, my God, I can't believe it, that we can't even see. It's whiteout conditions. We've had to close the schools and all of this stuff. So I had all these fake callers talking about this huge snowstorm coming to Houston. Yeah. There were corporations that brought shrimp boats in off the ocean because of the oncoming storm. There were doctors that canceled surgeries because of the oncoming storm. But the whole thing fell apart when there was a woman that had to uh, take her hanging plants down off of her garage. She got up on a ladder and she fell and broke her back. Oh my So goodness. she sued the radio station because if it weren't for us in our April Fool's Day trick, she wouldn't have had this happen. That was a bad one. And I did end up in the boss's office for that one as well. Don, I know that you just met Moon. I will tell you just a little inside. There is a magical quality this man possesses where it's like you're impo it's impossible for you to stay mad at him. This guy is Teflon. Like he absolutely is. He, he told on a, a previous podcast how he got fired, kind of like you got rehired in 30 minutes. He yes. got rehired in an elevator. He was, there were multiple radio stations in one building. One fired him. He was in the elevator. The other guy hired him. Didn't, yeah. even, didn't even go to his car. Didn't even have to question any of his decisions or think about life or process. Just nope, hired again. See? 
when I was growing up, I would listen on my dad's tractor to Denver radio stations. KOA was a very a big one. And as a matter of fact, you can get KOA here at night, 85 yes. KOA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Denver market was somewhere I always wanted to work because mm-hmm. our family farm was only two hours and 15 minutes away. So that was just far enough to keep my mom and dad away without calling. They couldn't just drop in, right? And mm-hmm. it was also close enough for me to drive to the family farm on weekends and, you know, uh, and work. Uh, do you remember when they had daytime only radio stations yeah. that had to sign off at sunset? Yep. And it got real early in the, in the winter months. Uh, you would be off the air by 530 in the evening. For me, I worked at one of those stations that signed off at sunset. Mm-hmm. And that year, there was a horrible tornado in Grand Island, Nebraska, which later yes. became a movie called The the Night of the Twisters. Mm-hmm. So they allowed us to then stay on the air past sunset so that we could, you know, pass along emergency information because there was no electricity in town. All the radio stations uh, were running on generators and they were telling people how to, you know, go get clean water and Radio stations were very important in in disseminating important information. I mean, just like now, we have things called Amber Alerts. If there weren't radio stations, think of all the young kids that wouldn't have been saved because, you know, there were no Amber Alerts. And now we get them on our phones. I mean, technology's definitely changed. But radio over the years has basically, you know, been a lifesaver in many, many cases. And then there's other, you know, times it's just the biggest waste of time ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is a well, good description of it. And then P-Jug is a very loyal listener to my talk 107.1. Mm-hmm. And every day she tells me things that one of the shows especially has talked about each day. You want to tell them about your favorite show? Donna and Steve on my talk 107.1. I know everything about the show. I listen to it every day. Part of the reason that's when I'm up and that's when I have my free time. Um, I'm sure the other shows are great as well. I'm a fan. I learn a lot from it. That was one of the things that was really nice with him. You met a loyal listener like that, that knew everything about you. I had one lady one time wait for me. I was going to do a personal appearance. She waited for two hours to meet me. And when she finally saw what I looked like, she started to cry. I said to her, are you okay? And she's like, you're supposed to have a beard. What? No. Did she say that? Yeah. She fantasized about my voice and what I might look like. And I was supposed to have a beard and it upset her that I didn't. See, this is why those dating apps are actually helpful. As long as the pictures are actually of them, as opposed to like, you know, your friends would give you a guy's number and you talk to him and you like, he sounds cute. And then doesn't have a beard. For many years, I ran my own control board. I didn't want anybody to ever run it because it, it threw off my timing. I knew where I wanted to go, you know, with the show. And so I like to do it. Well, when I got up here, uh, eventually, because I wouldn't go into my commercial breaks at the right times, my boss would say to me, uh, you were supposed to be into the commercials at 18 minutes past the hour. Yes. And the reason you want to do that is so that you're back into music by the time the other stations start their commercial break or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you try to strategically place these commercial breaks. And I was always late. And uh, so he said, you know, I want you to focus on your partner. It'll be a lot less work for you. And what he was trying to say was you don't go into the commercials at the right time. 
you need to, you know, have somebody else that's more responsible than you to do that. And, you know, over the years, I challenged management. And on my way out, I was so honored to be asked by our head of programming for the whole Hubbard Radio Network uh, how to do a radio show. And they were going to then play this interview that they did with me to all the other shows that were hiring new employees for Hubbard Radio. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I told them at the very end, I said, challenge your program director. If you don't challenge your program director, you're not pushing hard enough. The fast horses are hard to ride. That's what I always told my bosses. <laughs> True. True. You know, I had a I had one one experience I wanted to tell you about my first job in radio coming out of high school. And I, you know, I had to ask my parents if it was all right if I got a job at the radio station. And my mother said, That is just great. And I found out in later years she was glad I was doing that because she knew where I was at night. (laughs) (laughs) That actually happened. One of my favorite local small town radio stories was this. I was here in the Twin Cities and my mom and dad were in Sydney, Nebraska, and it was Mother's Day, right? And what I did was I recorded a 30-second commercial and I sent it to the radio station in Nebraska, you know, on an MP3 file. I emailed them my voice and I bought all the commercials for an entire day at the radio station uh, with a message for my mother. Oh my goodness. Oh my right? God. That's the sweetest thing ever. And, and you know, when I ask them, well, how much would it cost me for this many commercials? And they're like, well, you know, you could buy, it would be on all day for 300 bucks. I'm like, go for it. Right. Everybody in town heard this and they talked to her about that for months. Mm. I heard your message from your son and, and it was just really cool. And I even took P-Jug back to the radio station when I was back home. She oh. didn't believe it was just in a, like a modular uh, home or, you know, almost nearly a mobile home type of yeah. arrangement. Mm-hmm. It wasn't big. We had an upstairs where the radio equipment was, and we had a downstairs for where the bo- uh, business office was. It was always kind of funny that our general manager had a little switch that he could turn and listen to what was being said with the microphones even off in his office with headphones on. He would sit at his desk with his headphones on. He would throw that switch, and the microphones would pick up everything that was being said, and sometimes things being said about him. And the things that happen when you you happen to have a microphone on and you're not aware of it. There's been many people in many different cities that have forgot to turn that microphone off. Or they maybe they had the switch on, but they did, you know, they had the volume turned down or the pot turned down, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's been times that I slipped. I mean, there's been things that were broadcast. One of the, you know, most awful things in my whole radio career, I remember this just like yesterday. Uh, one of the kids in my high school class was going to go to college and they had a rush week for the colleges where they would do almost like hazing, mm-hmm. if that's what you want to call now. I mean, they would make them drink abnormal amounts of alcohol or whatever. And this classmate of mine actually was at a lake where they were having this big frat party thing, and he fell and hit his head on a bridge and drowned. Our radio news director found out about that, 
And he typed it up and he put the story in the news basket. And I read that story. And so while I'm sitting there behind the microphone, I hear a car pulling into the parking lot and it's the family member of the guy that got killed. And he happens to be an attorney. Mm -hmm. And here he comes right into the studio, right while I'm on the air. And I had to start a song and stop what I was doing. And automatically he pushed and shoved me. Uh, It was a, it was a terrible time. I mean, the thing that was so bad was I was reporting on the death of a guy I went to high school with in the same class. Mm -hmm. And it was a very small class. Everybody knew each other. I mean, and you stop and think about the bad things that you reported over the years. You know, I was there, uh, you know, when nine 11, you know, hit, I was there when hurricane Katrina hit. And I bet you, you were there for natural disasters. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There was a plane crash, uh, a military plane crash in Lake Ponset, uh, not too far from Watertown, and I put it on the air, not thinking that I should wait for the family to be notified, and uh, that was a very, very tough time in my world. I learned a lot from that, to be honest with you. And, you know, now people will sue over almost anything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm just so glad that I had the opportunity to meet you uh, at the Minnesota Broadcasting Hall. Say, that, was a, that was a great evening, wasn't it? That was great. And you were hysterical. I'm a stand-up comedian, and you were a riot. You're a kind lady. Your speech, your speech killed. You, you had him two lines in. Well, you see, I I wanted, I didn't want people to get up and walk away. To be honest with you, see, (laughs) they didn't. No one, no one did. But it was, it was great dealing, meeting, and dealing with all of you. I believe it's, it's time that I treasure. And Moon, thank you for having me on. All right, there you go. It's Don Eggert. Thank you very much. P-Jug, thank you for being a part of. And Hobbs, thank you so much as well. Absolutely. It's time to end the podcast. It's time to shut off the mics. It's time to end the podcast and get a thousand likes. You need to share this podcast with friends in cars or bikes. It's time to end the podcast and get a thousand likes. Why do you always listen? I guess we'll never know. A fat guy in a wheelchair. What the f*** does he know? It's time to end the podcast. It's time to get some likes. Go to your computer. Type it in and you're going to win. We are out of lyrics in Boopie Jug and Hobbs. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, though. It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. Let's put this show out of its misery.